You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. And so I'll ask you again, why are you here? Or to put it another way, you know, what's your purpose? What's your purpose? As we look at Ephesians chapter 4, we see in this passage, and we see in Ephesians 5 and 6 as well, the way God wants us to live. It's a way that we live in unity. It's a way that we live with one another, and it's a way that we live in the world. And so I want to invite you right now to stand with me as we read our passages for today. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. You can open up your Bibles, or you can read on the screen. And um, let's read it together in unison. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Please be seated. So, for what purpose are we here on earth? Why were we born? So you can go back and think about the day that you were born, and you can try to imagine what your parents were thinking about on that day. And maybe they were saying, well, why, why did we get this child? Why is he here? And they go, oh, I know, I know. We're supposed to feed the child, okay? We're supposed to feed the child. Well, why do we feed the child? Well, we feed the child so the child will grow. And so the child grows, and so we say, well, you know, so what now? What do we do now? I said, well, I guess that we fed the child. Oh, I know, the child's growing, so we better educate the child. And so some of you might have been educated at home for a while, and you went to school. And so you went to school, and your parents said, well, you got to do your homework. And you said, well, why do I have to do my homework? And they said, so you get good grades. And so you studied to get good grades. And then you wondered, well, why am I studying to get good grades? And your parents said, well, that's so that you can get into a good college. I said, oh, so I'm studying to get into a good college? That's enough? They go, no, 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 that's not enough. So you need to have an academic resume to get into the best colleges. And so it's not just enough to study. You also have to do an instrument. Okay, you've got to play an instrument. And then that's not enough either. Okay, so you've got to do a sport. And, you know, and that's not quite enough either because the schools want to know that you're involved in your community, so you've got to do community service. And so you go, okay, see, so I was born... 
And I was fed, so I would grow, so I'd go to school, so that I would get good grades, so I could someday go to college. Therefore, I need to study, I need to do sports, I need to do activities, um, and what else? You know, what else is there? So, well, of course, you know, now you're going to get into a good college, and you're going to do the same thing again. Okay, you're going to get, go to college and you're going to do the same thing again. You're going to study hard and you're going to get good grades and you go, well, why am I going to do that? And you say, well, because you want to do well in school so that you can get a good job. Okay, okay and then what? Well, see, you get a good job so that you can make lots of money. So, oh, okay, well, why do I need to make lots of money? Well, that's so that you can then buy a nice car. Oh, I'd like a nice car. And then you can buy a nice house. Well, why do I need that? Well, you see, good, glad you asked, okay? Because then what you need is a wife or a husband, all right? So that you can have a family. Say, so, oh, okay. And so then I, I have money, I have a car, I have a wife, and I have a family. And then what? Well, okay, and then you have children. Oh, and then what? Well, and then you do everything that we just did to you, all right? You just sort of do it all over again, right? And you go, well, and then what? So, well, well at the end, then you retire. Well, why do I retire? Say, well, so you can travel. Oh, so I can travel, so I can go around the world, and, and, and then what? Well, you see, well, if you had kids, and they have kids, and you can enjoy your grandchildren. Say, oh, I get it. And so all along the line, I've been doing all this so that I could have children, so that they could have children, so that I could enjoy them. And then what? So, well, and then you get old. And then what? Well, and then you die. And then what? That's where Paul answers our question now. He wants us to know where we're going so that we can have a good plan on getting there. Because the, and then what, doesn't end after you get good grades in school. And then what, doesn't end after you get a good job. And then what, doesn't end after you make lots of money. And then what, doesn't end after you get all the possessions and vacations that you want, and the nice house, and the nice car, and everything else, and even the nice family. Because the, and then what, ends in eternity. And that's going to be a whole lot longer than anything you and I will ever experience here on earth. And so God has given to us something very valuable so that we live with an end in mind, so that at the end of life we didn't go, and that's all there was. We want to end up at the end of life knowing that we are ready to stand before God And to have something before him, a life that was well-lived, a life that was blessed to other people, a life that has rewards that continued from earth into eternity. And so God has given to us a special gift, and Paul calls that grace. Grace. God has given us grace so that we can give it to other people. Let me read again verses 7 through 10, and you can follow along. And there it says, but to each one of us, grace. Now, this isn't just the grace of salvation. This is the grace of receiving a life after we were saved. This is the grace of the gifts that God gives to us so that we can live. And we see that because a grace has been given as God apportioned it, as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, 
When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And so we see that God has given us a grace. And the best way I can describe this is that the grace was given so that we could serve. It's a serving grace. It's a way that we can use our lives to bless other people. And Paul's talking about unity here. And one of the best ways for us to grow in unity as a church is not just be in a place having union and being sitting here, but actually in doing things together. So the San Telmo team right now is experiencing the unity of using their many gifts to bless other people. When you help and you serve in a way with another team, you enjoy what it means to be part of that team. You enjoy the victory of that teamwork. You enjoy the fellowship that comes on that team. And so unity happens. But something else also happens, and we're going to learn more about that as we go into this passage, and that is that we help other people to become the people that God made them to be. See, my gift helps you to use your gift better. Your gift helps me to use my gift better. So that God has given to each and every true believer a special serving gift. You have a gift. You have a gift that is united with other people, but your gift is still unique. You have a unique gift. There are things that you can do in this body of Christ and in this world that nobody else can do. There are places you're going to go at the moment in time that you're going to be there that nobody else can do what you were made to do at that point of time and in that place. And you know what? God gave you the right gift. He gave you the perfect gift that befits you. It's something that you will enjoy. It's something that you will want to develop. And you will have the right amount of that gift. Now, other people might have a similar gift in you. And they might have more. They might have less. But each one of us has the exact right amount of ability and of opportunities to serve God. That God has made us so that we would be able to use this grace and use this gift so that we can give to other people. Jesus gives us this gift. Now, when we look at this passage, we see that this gift came because of a great price that Jesus paid. We see that he descended, right? We see that Jesus descended to the lower regions. That means that he came from heaven and he came to earth. He gave up everything that he had in heaven. He got off his throne and he came down into a manger. He gave up all of that which was perfection and bliss to experience humanity. And he experienced it perfectly. He experienced our pains, but he also experienced our sins. And he died on the cross. The greatest part of his humiliation was that he paid the price for you and for me. And he died on the cross for my sins. And he died on the cross for your sins. Open up with me, please, your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. So if you're in Ephesians, just go forward some more. You'll get to Hebrews. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15. And this is going to talk about Jesus and his humiliation. It's going to tell us about why he descended here to earth. Why did he come? 
Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. And there it says, Since the children, that's you and me, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So why did Jesus come? He came to free us. And free us from what? Free us from the penalty of sin and to free us from the fear of death. We're still going to die. We're all going to die. Remember, that's the end of the process of life. But it leads to eternal life that goes beyond this world. It leads to living in the presence of God. And Jesus descended so that we could have all that. When did it happen? It says it happened when he ascended. After he died, he went back to heaven after he rose from the dead. He ascended back to the throne. He ascended back to his father. He ascended back into this heavenly kingdom. And God is going to help us to ascend and to be with him as well. But the Bible tells us that he gave us something. He gave us something after he ascended. Look at the end of verse 8 there. And it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So when Jesus ascended, when he went back to heaven, he left gifts here for you and for me while we're on earth. Now this is a quote from Psalm chapter 68. It's a quote from a psalm that talks about God's victory. It talks about God, how God led the people out of Egypt. And he led them through the desert. And he brought them to Mount Sinai. And they received the law there. But God wasn't done with his people. And so he led his people from Mount Sinai to Jerusalem. And while they were going up to Jerusalem, God was victorious. And then we read in verse 18, when he ascended up to Jerusalem, it says in verse 18, when he ascended on high, you led captives in your train and you received gifts from men. That's the quote that Paul is using. He is referring to Psalm 68 when he wrote um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8. But I want you to look at those two verses in yellow. And what's the difference? What difference do you see in those two verses? Is there something different there about gifts? That's the hint. What's the difference? Say it. Receiving and giving. Wait, did, did, did Paul change scripture? Did Paul get it wrong? Did Paul have bad memory? Actually, it was quite common. It's fairly common in the New Testament that the apostles and the prophets, when they were preaching, they would take the old scriptures and the Old Testament and they would interpret it. They would understand by God's power what was intended for the future. And so in the Old Testament, this was a teaching about the kings of the world and the victory of God and how when they defeat an enemy, they take the gifts from the enemy, right? And they receive them from the enemy. But what Paul is saying here is something very different, is that Jesus is leading captives but those captives weren't his enemies the captives were actually you and me 
the term is actually that Jesus literally was leading captivity captive. That's what the Bible says, leading captivity captive. In other words, he was freeing us, just like we read in Hebrews. Jesus was freeing us from the fear of death. Now he is freeing us to receive these gifts. So in the Old Testament, in Psalm, the king was receiving gifts from his enemies. But in this one, the king is giving gifts to his friends. He is giving gifts to his family. He has ascended in such a wonderful victory. He is marching in triumph. And he is giving us this amazing gift that fills us and is also to fill the whole universe. Not just fill the whole world, but to fill the whole universe. Verse 9 and um, verse 10 says this. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. So we got that, right? Jesus came to earth. He descended. He lived his life. He died on the cross for us. He was buried, but he rose again to life. And then he ascended back to heaven. And he did that. Why? In order to fill the whole universe. Do you see how big God is? Do you see how big your part in God's plan is? How important you and I are to God's plan? That he gives us a gift so that these gifts would be part of him filling the universe. That we would be filled with a magnitude of God's grace and God's love. And that's why at our retreat we're going to be talking about how God fills us up first. So that we can overflow with an abundance of what he gives us. So that what we give to others is an overflow of what God has given to us. And this living water of God's grace continues to flow to other people. That God would give us the strength. What we do is not of our own strength. What we do comes from the victory of God. And so grace is forgiving. Grace has been given to us that we might give to others. But that's not all. There's an and then what? And after we have been given this, there is something that God is building. And God is building maturity in all of us. He is building us up so that we can be mature for his glory. And the gifts that God gives to his church include these people there. We see he gives us apostles. And he gives us prophets. And he gives us evangelists. And he gives us teachers. God has given to us these four people so that the church would be strong. We've heard about them before earlier in our study of Ephesians. That the apostles originally were the twelve that Jesus chose. They were given a special mission. Paul was later also added to the list of apostles. He had seen Jesus. They would seen the resurrected Christ. And they were doing a work in the world. They were establishing the foundation of the church by their preaching and by their teaching. And so with the apostles, there were also prophets. And in those days, they didn't have the Bible like we have today. And so the prophets were the ones that were teaching the word of God. They were teaching it to the people. But then it was written down for us. And so now we have the New Testament, and that is the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. The Bible also says that we have evangelists. Evangelists are people who are specially gifted by God to be able to share the good news of Jesus to the world in a very clear way so that those who are willing will receive the gift of eternal life. Those are the evangelists that God gives so the church will continue to go out into all the world. 
Now, one of the things we should be careful of is thinking that all because there are people who have the gift of evangelists, if I don't have the gift of being evangelist, then I don't have to do evangelism. That's not true. All believers, all Christians are called to be evangelists. We're all called to do evangelism. But there are some people who are specially gifted to be able to do that in all the world so that people will hear the gospel. And they are also, like Billy Graham, one of the greatest things Billy Graham did wasn't just have crusades, but he trained evangelists. That was part of his gifting, was that he trained other evangelists to reach people around the world. And so God gives the church evangelists to spread the gospel. But he also gives the church pastors and teachers. And this is actually to be one person, a pastor who is a teacher. And that's the meaning of the word there. A pastor and a teacher is somebody who would be like Jesus in loving the sheep and caring for the sheep. If you're still in Hebrews, turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 Verses 20 and 21. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. And this is talking about Jesus as our shepherd. And this is what he does for us. And this is how he feels about us. Hebrews 13, verse 20 says this. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus is the good shepherd. We read that in the book of John. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for us. He is a shepherd of tenderness. He is a shepherd of care. But he's also a shepherd of protection. He is also a shepherd of power. And so as our good shepherd, he protects us and he feeds us. But he's not just the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He is the shepherd over all the world. He's the shepherd over all the universe. He's the shepherd over all shepherds. And so these are the pastors and teachers. They are the under-shepherds. They are like the mini-shepherds that Jesus gives to the world and to the church to help lead them to draw closer to God himself, to go to the great shepherd. And so God uses teachers and pastors to bring the word of God to his people so they would grow strong. And the Bible says so that they would be equipped. Verse 12 of our passage in Hebrews chapter 4. To equip his people for works of service. This is my job description. Okay, Maybe you think my job description is to do the work in the church. That's only a small part of it. My job description is to help you to do the work in the church, and in the world. So it says there in verse 18, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so Jesus has given us the gifts of grace so that we will become mature together that we will become mature, which means to grow in age, to grow in stature. Nobody wants an immature child. 
We all know that children start off that way, but we want them to be mature. And the way that God helps us to become mature in verse 13 is so that we would know the Son of God. We would have knowledge of the Son of God. And this isn't just head knowledge. This is personal knowledge. This is walking with somebody and talking to somebody and having a relationship with them so that our relationship continues to grow in love. Our relationship continues to grow in unity. We enjoy what it means to be best friends. We enjoy what it means to be family. We enjoy what it means to be part of a body. And God helps us to continue to grow into mature manhood, into mature womanhood, into mature Christ-likeness. And God wants us to be the full measure of our lives. That we would be full of Jesus. We would have the full measure of Jesus in our lives. God wants us to do this so that we will not be immature. What's an immature person? Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants. Infants immature. Spiritually, infants are people who've been Christians for a while who haven't grown mature. And therefore, when a problem happens, they falter. They don't have the strength that God has given through times of continued maturity. They have doubts. They begin to wonder about whether or not what the Bible says this is true or whether or not what Jesus says that is true. Those are immature. These are Christians who haven't continued to grow, but that's not God's will for us. God's will is that we wouldn't be blown by wind and go here and there. We wouldn't be stuck in the waves and go here and there. Uh, many years ago, um, how many of you have been down to La Jolla? Any been down to La Jolla in San Diego? It's beautiful. I grew up in San Diego. You got to go there. And so one of my cousins, um, I, was a, I was in high school at the time. One of my cousins, he was in college at the time. He loved to do body surfing. And so he heard that the body surfing was really good down in La Jolla. And so he took me down there. Now, I didn't know how to body surf. And so I just had, you know, one of those boards that you hold on to and you go in the waves and the wave brings you in, okay? And so he was out there body surfing uh, with some fins and I was out there holding onto my board. And so I went out into the waves and I catch a wave, but the strangest thing happened. I never got closer to the shore. So I would catch a wave, but then I kind of noticed that the shore was always going the other way. And I was like, this isn't right. right. It was sort of like a disconnect. And I'm not a good swimmer. Okay, So I held on very hard to that board. And I kicked and I kicked and I kicked. And I still didn't get any closer to shore. Anybody know why? I was caught in something. Right? I was caught in a rip current. A rip current is a, a current that comes when the wave comes in, but it's stronger going back out. And I was scared. And there are no lifeguards at that beach. Except God had sent an angel for me. There were lifeguards at another beach down the other way. It just happened that there was this lifeguard, and he later told me this, is that he was walking back to his car from his work, and he saw me, and he saw me in trouble. And so he swam out there with that, you know, orange buoy, right? He swam out there, and he swam to me, and he said, hold on to this. And I'm listening, and I hold on to that buoy. And he swims sideways at first until he got out of the rip current and then into the shore. 
And we got to about this high in the water, and I'm really embarrassed, all right? And so I say to him, oh, I, I can walk in here from here. And he says, you will not get off. Hold on. If you let go, you're going to go right back out there again. Hey, yes, sir. Okay. I obey. So he pulls me all the way into the shore. And there we're walking in the sand. And he looks at me and he tells me, you're one very lucky boy. There are no lifeguards here. But I was just walking back to my car after my shift. Otherwise, you might have drowned. And it's very true, because I didn't know what to do. My cousin was told by that same lifeguard to swim to the side until he was out of the rip current and then swim back into shore. That's how he was saved. But it was because of the lifeguard that was there that saved me from drowning. Otherwise, I would have been tossed back and forth by the waves. And that's what can happen in our lives. We can end up immature as infants, tossed back and forth by the waves. And then when the trials of life come, we might drown. Or we might think that we'll drown. And we might not thrive and live the way God wants us to live. We won't have the life. Now that lifeguard saved me so that I could live. And God saves us so that we can live. He wants us to have a life. It's full and meaningful. He wants us to be mature to the fullness of Jesus. He doesn't want us to be infants. And so that is what God wants. Now, maturity has its purpose as well. And maturity is there to strengthen all of Jesus' body. Maturity is there to strengthen everything that is there as part of the body of Christ. So we read there in verse 15, instead, instead of being immature, we are speaking the truth in love. And we will grow to become in every respect mature. The mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So what is the first sign of maturity? What should we want more than anything else? And that is to be like Jesus. And so maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, maybe I'm more like the person like Curtis was when he was in the waves and he was about to drown and I'm struggling. How do I get out of the rip current? How do I get out and onto shore and have life? And the first way is to say, I want to be like Jesus. That's what Paul is saying, that in every respect, I want to be a mature person and be more like Jesus. I want to know Jesus by reading the word of God. I want to know Jesus by being in fellowship with other believers. I want to know Jesus by being in a Bible study. I want to know Jesus by praying. I want to know Jesus by worshiping God with the, fa with the family of God. I want to know Jesus by serving him in the world, by going to Santelmo, by going on the YSMP, by doing things that God would have us to do that would allow for him to use us in this world by serving in my community, by serving in my job, by serving in my school, by being a light where I live, that God would have us to live out our Christ-likeness so that we, like Jesus, would go into the world to share his love so that others might know him as well. That whatever we are, wherever we find ourselves, that God would have us to be Jesus in that place to other people. That Christ's likeness would be lived out. That God wants us to be strong 
Now we need each other. And so the second sign of maturity in a believer is that they have a stability found in being connected to a community. Paul says there in verse 16, from Jesus, the whole body, the whole body, that means all of Christendom. That means all of our body of Christ. Now, Paul's speaking in two ways here. He's talking about the whole world, the big church, capital C, of all the world, so that every little church is part of the big church. But he's also talking about the little church, the local church, like you and me, right, us right here. Is that God wants us to see that we too are a body. And that we too need to be connected. We too need to be supported. There's not one of us who can live all by ourselves. And so Paul uses the term that we would be a part of a body so that we are supported like ligaments support bones. That's what ligaments do. There's 900 ligaments in your body and my body. And 600 of them, I'm told, are in our two legs and our two arms. That, there's, that God has given to us the majority of our ligaments in the places of our, our limbs where we can go places and where we can touch people and where we can do things. But for me to be able to do all this, I've got to use these 600 ligaments that tie my bones together. Do you ever see that far side show of a, the boneless chicken ranch? And there's just chickens laying all over the floor and ground, just rubber chickens that can't move because they have no bones. We don't want to be a boneless church ranch. We have to have bones in our bodies that are connected to each other. That is the ligaments that God has put us to be together. That God wants us to work together. We don't do it alone. We ask for help. We receive help. We give to others and we receive from others. We don't pretend that we're okay all by ourselves. We acknowledge that we need help. We need others to help us. That we're just one of the ligaments in the body of Christ to help tie others together. But together we are a whole body stronger and able to do the things that God made us so that our maturity has a purpose and that is to strengthen others in the body of Christ. And then God would thirdly have us to live a life that is truly a life of love. It builds itself up in love. And we also see that at the beginning of verse 15, that we are speaking the truth in love. And literally the Bible says, truthing in love. Truthing in love. In other words, that when we know the truth, it's not just in our heads, it's through the ligaments, it's through our legs, it's through our arms, it's through our lives, the way that we touch other people, that we give to others, that we share with others, that we're part with others, that God helps us to build ourselves up by loving and by caring for each other, not tearing down one another, not criticizing one another to the point that we're seeking to hurt them, not help them. Criticism is important. But we criticize to help, not to hurt. And I think so many of us criticize first to hurt, saying, oh, I'm just doing it to help. It's just constructive criticism. And really, there's very little constructive criticism. What we need is encouraging criticism. And criticism that helps us to be encouraged so that we become the people that God made us to be. And we love each other sincerely enough to tell somebody maybe when they're doing something wrong. Enough to correct them so they do something right. 
enough to help them and be with them, not pointing a finger at them, but walking along their side, helping them, as we learned last week from Pastor Art's sermon, about encouraging each other. And we can't do that out in the stands. We've got to get on the field and do it with one another. That God wants us to encourage each other and to build each other in, in love. And so that is the third mark of maturity. One that builds a life of living in truth and living that truth out in love. And fourthly, that we each do our own work. Everyone has a work to do. We all have something that God has given us to do. There is a work that God has given so that I can share with you. There is a work that you've been given so that you can share with me. Some of us might be teachers. Some of us might be missionaries. Some of us might be servants. Some of us might make phone calls to help organize things and and to administrate. Some of us might have the gift of just coming along somebody else and saying, what can I do to help you? God has given us the gifts of helps. God's given to us gifts of administration. God's given to us gifts of being able to teach, to be encouraging, to show mercy. God's given us gifts of wisdom. He has given us countless gifts that we can use to help so nobody here is unimportant. Everybody here is important. Nobody here is impotent. Everybody here has a place that God has made us so that we can help each other. And this is where we're headed as a body. This is where we're headed as a church. But you have to make that choice. And nobody can make that choice for you. It's a choice that Paul is calling us to make. So we have grace with a purpose. And so let's end like the way we began. Why were you born? Were you born just so that you could grow? and eat, and get smart, and play an instrument, and do activities, and go to a good school so you can get a good job, so you can make good money, so you can find a good spouse, so you can live in a good house, so you can have a nice vacation, so that you can have good children who have other good children, so that you can have then grandchildren, so that you can retire happily, so that then you can just die. I hope your answer is no to all that. I hope your answer is yes. That God, I was born. I was born to grow in Christ. I was grown to feed on the word of God. I was grown and poured into by God to pray and to talk to him and to walk with him. I was given strength in my life so that I might be able to give strength to other people who are weak. I have been given strength in my life so that I'd be able to walk along somebody else and encourage them in their while when they're going through a hard time. I've been given gifts of wisdom so that I can share with somebody else so if they're doing something wrong. I won't criticize them in such a way that hurts them, but I'm going to help them. I've been given gifts of wisdom and I've been given gifts of discernment so I can help serve the church, so I can serve as a teacher, I can serve as a deacon. I can serve in other ways by helping so that this church isn't just something that sits still and is static but is dynamic and makes a difference in this world. I am here in this world so that I can touch people who need to be touched. I'm here in this world so that I can help people who need to be helped. I'm here in this world so I can go out into the world and shine God's light. I'm not here to be a consumer. I'm here to be a giver. I'm not here just to take. 
I'm here to let my life be a sacrifice so that others can live just like Jesus. I am here so that my grace that God has given to me will be fulfilled with a purpose that will last for eternity. Is that what you want? Then tell God so. Tell him that's what you want. Ask him to fill you. Ask him to use you. Ask him to send you. And he will. He will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us grace with a purpose. And that everything that we have has the end goal of giving you glory and honor. But it's really practical. It is practical in that we each have a work to do. We each have something to participate in the body of Christ so that we can help to build it up. And we do so in a manner of living out love and truth together. And we are a ligament among ligaments. And together we form a body and we are held together by the love of Christ so that we might become more and more like Jesus as a body to touch other lives, that they might become strong in Jesus and know the life that goes on forever, the real eternal life that has meaning both before we die and after we die. Help us, Lord, to live in Christ today. We ask in your name. Amen.